Night Dog, walking you to the ballot box. The only political party that do what it said it will do is the economic freedom fighters, the EFF. When they come to the land, the expropriation of land without compensation, the minute. That's why even now they've been taken to court of saying people must occupy land. If you see a beautiful land, occupy it. They are still talking about it even though they're in court. No matter whether the the, the judge or the rule has been against them, but they're doing it. Occupy the land. That's a reaction there on the WhatsApp voice note line. I'm taking your reaction 0614-104-107. You can send us a WhatsApp voice note on that number on WhatsApp. I'll repeat it, 0614-104-107. If you want to give us a call uh, and give us a reaction on uh, our lines, you can give us a call on 086-000-2032. I'm speaking to Adele Kirsten, who is the uh, director of Gun Free South Africa. Two really gruesome, um, gratuitous um, gun shootout events over the weekend that I think has reinscribed into the South African national conversation our problem and scourge of guns in South African streets. Um, I think we, because we do not have a, a pandemic of guns to the scale of, say, the United States of America, the conversation doesn't seem to happen with urgency in South Africa. And every once in a while, it will flare up and then it will go away. But all while that's happening, gun, gun law reform conversations are still happening in the background. Lawmakers are still being asked, asked tough questions by uh, public interest organizations such as Gun Free South Africa. But where are those conversations going and what other reforms conversations that we're talking about? Hopefully we'll have more enlightenment on that today. Good evening. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Uh, good evening, David, and I, I think you, yeah, you're raising some of the key issues around this um, debate, but also, um, you know, this this pandemic really um, yeah. uh, around the number of people being shot and killed. Thirty-four people are shot and killed every single day in this country, uh, and I agree. There's no urgency. There's no sense of uh, this should not be happening. Um, we were, we, you know, we were shocked when the um, quarterly crime stats were released at the end of last year for the first um, quarter. Um, and the MPs, the minister, the national commissioner, it was just business as usual. Um, no sense of urgency, uh, no sense of the kind of extent of, of the crisis uh, in this country. Mm-hmm. So, so perhaps here then, what we know at least, uh, you know, at at a surface level, we know what some of the problems are. We know why some guns are on the streets in South Africa, for instance. We know that gangs don't, you know, spontaneously and serendipitously come across guns. That it's a well orchestrated yeah. syndicate uh, where yeah. police officers yeah. are declaring guns missing or stealing guns and feeding it into gangs that sometimes they're able to uh, some gangs are able to import guns into the country uh, especially when we talk about automatic rifles uh, and, and and some of the more 
uh, advanced artillery that you'll see in militarized mm-hmm. countries. Um, you shouldn't see a gang with those kind of weapons, but that's the weaponry that executes cash and transit heists in South Africa, for instance. Um, we know where it comes from, but why is nothing being done about it from a from a mitigating point of view? Um, I mean, I, I think that that's a, a, a tough question because, uh, in a sense, we we know that there are interventions such as strengthening uh, the gun law. Uh, putting in place things like uh, dedicated uh, firearms, uh, specialist firearms units. Um, And none of that is being done uh, by the police. (coughs) Whether they've got another plan is not clear uh, because that's not being shared uh, with the public. But, you know, globally and in South Africa, uh, we know that there are a number of strategies that work. Um, the one is you have to recover the illegal weapons, uh, the weapons that are circulating in the illicit market. Um, so if you think of, of the recent taxi violence, <coughs> sorry, in the Eastern Cape, you know, some of those guns have been recovered. Uh, that's really important because then you need to determine where uh, the source of those guns. So recovery is critical. Uh, we have to get those guns out of circulation, uh, do the ballistics, uh, and then obviously do the destruction. But what's the, the other best, is what's you the have best to practice to... of what's the best practice before you get to the second point? Then my apologies. What's the best practice for 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 retrieving uh, illicit uh, guns circulating the illicit market and destroying them? Well, it has to be intelligence driven. You know, we know that the public aren't necessarily going to report. Um, so you have to have specialist uh, firearms units that are dedicated uh, to tracking and tracing and to recovering. So a lot of that would be undercover operations. Um, we had that sort of in the late 90s, early uh, 2000s. Uh, and, you know, we, there, was a, there was a significant reduction uh, in the circulation of weapons in this country over a 10-year period from about 2000 to 2010, 2012. Uh, and we then saw uh, an almost halving uh, of our gun deaths over that same period. Uh, it's a, there's a really simple equation. The more guns you have in circulation, the more gun deaths you have. You reduce access to guns. Uh, you reduce the circulation of, of, of guns, you will reduce your gun deaths. Um, we've repeatedly, um, you know, suggested that or, or, or urged that, that uh, the police put these units uh, in place. Um, in a cabinet meeting, I think it was in October last year, the cabinet memo uh, suggested that cabinet had approved the establishment uh, of these specialist firearms units but we have not seen anything to date uh, about whether this actually has been uh, in place. To add though, that we have seen over uh, the last kind of couple of months, um, quite a lot of reporting on SAPs recovering uh, weapons from crime scenes or the kind of uh, taxi violence that we were seeing uh, in the Eastern Cape last week. Yeah. So that's, so, so getting it out of circulation, but, you know, one of the things that, you know, and, and we know that most crime is committed uh, with uh, illegal weapons, uh, weapons that enter into 
the criminal market. But these weapons were once legal. Uh, they were owned either by cops or civilians or someone in the security industry. Uh, and so your second key intervention is you have to turn off the tap. You have to stop the supply of new weapons coming into the market. And that's where the strengthening of your legislation comes in. Yeah, we're going to be talking about some of the legislative gaps there that 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 require some strengthening, um, and and how that can come about. I'm taking your reactions to this. Give me a call: zero eight six triple zero two zero three two zero eight six triple zero two zero three two. I'm also taking your WhatsApp voice notes on zero six one four one zero four one zero seven. I'll repeat that: zero six one four one zero four. 107. Tweet me at Oliver underscore speaking on Twitter, Oliver Dixon on Facebook. We continue the conversation on the other side of this. It is 20 minutes to the top of the hour. I'm in conversation with Adele Kirsten from Gun Free South Africa. And we're talking about the scourge of guns uh, in South Africa and, and at least gun violence emanating from that. Adele, before we go into the legislative reform conversation, it's not just illegal guns that kill and hurt people, so do legal guns. And there seems to be a, 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 a increase in South Africans wanting to acquire guns legally uh, because of their own security uh, concerns. Um, that seemingly isn't a good idea, as research points to us, that people who own guns are more likely to die from gun violence itself. And that seems to be a universal truth. Uh, uh, why does it play out like that? I think when, when we, you live in a country like South Africa where there are high levels of gun violence, uh, most of us have had some experience of crime. Uh, most of us know someone uh, who has experienced crime. Uh, we, we're scared. People are scared. Uh, people uh, are desperate uh, to um, keep themselves safe, to keep their families safe. Uh, there's a massive kind of trust deficit with the police. Um, and, and so people then resort to the, the kind of individual response. What is it that I can do? Um, and it's a knee-jerk response. It's this this, this um idea that guns, well, it's not just an idea, guns are powerful, uh, they they lethal, um, they give one a sense of power, a, a feeling of safety. So I think there's, a, there's an important distinction between feeling safe and being safe. So I think it's a common response, but we also know we're living in an era where facts and evidence aren't taken that seriously. Um, that kind of fake news or disinformation um, is is often absorbed uh, by people, um, you know, on social media platforms, etc. Um, but the evidence is absolutely clear that having a gun in the home um, puts everyone at risk: mm. uh, the owner, the children in the home, um, and and I, I guess the one crime that is often overlooked and, and a crime that is m- most often involves legal guns uh, is men killing uh, their girlfriends or their wives. Are we seeing that increasingly happening with cops? Um, but of course, we yeah yeah we tend to forget that because somehow that's in the private domain. Uh, but we know that women are particularly uh, at risk for death or injury. Uh, in a home where there is domestic violence and where the man has a gun. So the evidence is clear, a gun doesn't make you safe. Um, but but we know that, for example, after the July 20 
2021 unrest, there was this uh, quite a big surge uh, in people applying uh, for gun licenses. Um, so, so I think it's it's quite a I guess it's a human response of mm. that's the first solution. Um, and an organisation like Gun Free, we take really seriously our role of public education and to constantly provide the evidence which shows that that's not true. Um, and of course, the question then is always, well, what is the solution? Um, and that's that's a kind of societal uh, question that people have to engage with. It's 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 not like we've got all of the solutions for that. Our focus is on uh, gun violence, the impact of guns on our society, uh, and what the evidence tells us about the risks associated uh, with having a gun. The question around what are the alternatives is a conversation all of us should be having, and we need to be looking at communities, um, you know, that that don't that where every home doesn't have private security, where there aren't high walls, where people are using community policing forums or neighbourhood watches. Um, or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so there, there are solutions, but it, it will be different for different communities. Uh, and that's something we would want to encourage people to have the conversation about what do we do as, as, as a community rather than just yeah. as an individual response. Yeah, um, And I think that's a tough conversation to have, but we have to be having it. Otherwise, we... You know, it's this this kind of individual response that we're individually responsible for our own safety. Uh, and we know that that's not how communities work. Yeah, yeah. Give me a call, 086-000-2032, I'm also taking your WhatsApp reactions on 0614-104-107. Maswabi in Bloemfontein, good evening. Uh, good evening, Olivier. I think mm. you and your guest never experience the intruder in your house killing your children and your uh, whoever and taking all the finishers. Maybe we cannot talk about gun-free South Africa. Instead, we got to uh, clear out criminals who don't hesitate to kill you and I. Really, we cannot just take the guns out of law-abiding, those who got license. I'm also, I'm looking for the gun also. Mm. And when I get the gun, I'm going to use it to, to protect my family. We understand. We are living in the world. I don't know. Our neighboring countries, Botswana, I'm not experiencing this thing. Yeah. Masabi, you know, I, I, I empathize with your, your, your fear and your concern because I have the exact same fear and concern as you do, right? Um, and myself, I've certainly considered getting a gun. Um, but here's something, and I said this earlier, and, and, and I want to hear your response specifically to it, that people who have guns are more likely themselves to die by gun violence. Oftentimes, the criminals use your own gun on you uh, or some or other accident happens, right? What are your thoughts about that specifically, that the minute you have a gun in the house, your risk of dying from gun violence itself increases? Yeah, once they know you got the gun, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Hello, oh. can you hear me? Yeah, oh, okay. That's that's a nice and pithy answer. Thanks for that. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Thank thanks you so much. Here. Masabi calling us there from Bloemfontein. Adele, let's maybe speak to the the regulatory reform and legislative reform work that you say is important and that, that, that needs to get underway. What are some of the legislative gaps that we need to fill? 
so Oliver, maybe to kind of take a step back and to say that uh, our gun law, the Firearms Control Act, which was passed uh, into law in 2001, uh, is, is a good piece of legislation. And the reason I say that is that it follows kind of, adheres to most of the kind of key principles of good gun laws. Uh, and really the three principles is that uh, a good gun law regulates and limits who can own a weapon, what type of weapon and how many weapons you can add, own and for what purpose. Um, so we, we've, that, those elements are present in our current gun law, but we're 20 years into the gun law and there are uh, a number of loopholes and uh, the gun law needs to be strengthened. So for example, to uh, one loophole, is that under your dedicated categories of hunters, sports shooters, uh, when the law uh, was being um, debated in parliament, that was uh, one section of the law where limits were not imposed uh, on the number of guns that you can own. Uh, and so many people who are gun enthusiasts have used that loophole, uh, I guess, to sort of feed their habit of, of wanting more and more guns. And so you, you kind of see an accumulation uh, of weapons with, with, you know, within a home uh, through these uh, dedicated categories. The other is um, some of the bar for uh, gun ownership as related to domestic violence incidents is uh, quite low and, and, and we want to raise the bar. So under our current act, uh, you have to be convicted uh, under an offence of the Domestic Violence Act before you are seen as unfit to even apply for a gun licence. Uh, and we know that there are things like the protection orders. Um, we would uh, argue that there's sufficient evidence to show uh, that the use of violence uh, is, the, is the single biggest predictor um, of, of um, using lethal violence uh, against women in a domestic situation. Uh, and that if there's been even an interim protection order, um, that any application for a gun license should be suspended. So there's the a range of, of um, loopholes that could be closed around increasing and, and, and strengthening women's rights uh, to be safe from gun-related violence in their home. So those would be just uh, two examples. There are a number of technical, technical things like around ammunition uh, and the amount of ammunition and the rounds, the number of rounds that you can have, um, <clears throat> as well as at the moment, what happens is someone can go to, you know, gun dealer X and buy 200 rounds of ammunition and go to gun dealer Y and get another 200 rounds. And that's the maximum under the law but there's no tracking, uh, there's no integrated uh, dealer system where you can kind of track the way they're doing it at chemists these days. Um, so th th those are kind of uh, more technical um, aspects to uh, the legislation, but certainly there uh, would be significant clauses uh, that could be amended uh, that would certainly strengthen uh, the gun law. And when you're strengthening a gun law and you're increasing the limits on who can own, you will 
um, decrease the circulation and you will decrease gun deaths. Yeah. Uh, just quickly, in South Africa, do we do psychological fitness testing when um, uh, issuing of, of gun licenses? Uh, you mentioned all the other sort of testing that we need to do. Uh, no. But I'm, I'm curious about whether we put hands guns in the hands of people who psychologically aren't fit to have those. So we don't do any psychometric testing or any kind of psychological profiling. Um, we do look at history of violent behavior. Uh, we look at things like criminal records as well as uh, history of substance abuse. Uh, and the reason we don't do um, kind of psychological profiling or psychometric testing is because there's, there's, there's not sufficient evidence, let me say, to demonstrate that um, people with mental health illnesses are more at risk of um, misusing the guns. The, the biggest predictor is whether you have a history of violent behavior. Um, but the, the, there are some countries who do it, uh, and it's an ongoing debate in the small arms co control community about whether this is something uh, we should be moving towards. Um, but right now, I, I would say, you know, it seems like more countries don't do it than do. Uh, and certainly we know that in discussion with cops, this is something that worries uh, the police about whether we should be doing that. So, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, complicated area uh, of, of, of the law. Uh, it would also, it would be uh, a big administrative uh, burden um, in the licensing process. Uh, but again, I think it's something, um, you know, that we need to be doing more research on it, need to be looking at what are other countries doing. Uh, so it's not necessarily um, a kind of a closed conversation, but right now that's not uh, one of the criteria to apply for a gun license in South Africa. Yeah, 614 Give us a call. I'm taking your reactions to this. Adele, to this, uh, police uh, police guns making it into the, to the hands of criminals and gangsters, that was at some point a really, really big problem in South Africa. I don't know to what extent it still may be. But I, I, should the approach not be to make it too expensive for the South African police service to be not more to to not be a lot more hygienic about its gun control practices? Um, that is to say, litigation against the state and against the minister of police uh, when every time a, a police officer gun goes missing or a police officer gun commits a crime. So, Oliver, you know that, that Gun Free South Africa has embarked on a class action. Uh, we launched the class action because we lodged our papers for certification in the Western Cape High Court in May last year. Uh, and that's specifically uh, around what we call the princely guns. Um, and it's a ex-police officer who was convicted uh, in, in June 2016 of stealing over 2,000 weapons from the state armory in Silverton and, and altering the guns, uh, using a middleman uh, to sell them onto um, gang leaders and into criminal hands in the Western Cape. And you saw a very dramatic increase at the same time uh, in gun-related deaths on the Cape Flats. Um, so th th this is important because the state has a particular duty to safeguard its weapons. Um, it also has a responsibility to ensure that when it issues licenses to a civilian, that that civilian meets all the criteria 
which which signal that they are fit and proper. But it does have a particular responsibility um, to secure its own stocks. This is this is a long process. Um, it's going to take years. Um, so in a, in a way, we it's, this could be precedent setting, uh, in in the sense of, of that that if if um, we are successful in the class action, which shows that the state um, was negligent uh, in not securing its guns, and those very same guns killed and injured uh, 261 uh, young people uh, on the Cape Flats, um, then then that certainly would have uh, important ramifications uh, for the kind of one-on-one -on -one case that you're talking about, but we're far away uh, from that uh, at this stage. Um, but we know that loss and theft of guns is, uh, is the single biggest source uh, of illegal guns in this country. So, so there are basically three sources or three ways mm. in which guns move from the legal market into the criminal market. The one is through fraud and corruption in the kind of firearms control chain. Uh, the second is uh, some cross-border trade. But then the third, and it is the single biggest contributor to the illicit market, is loss and theft from uh, civilian or from legal owners. So that includes your civilian, it includes your private security, and it includes the state. Um, the most recent data that we have is that between 20 and 25 guns are lost and stolen every single day in this country. Uh, and the majority Sorry, are 20 from to 25 guns. And 20, are lost 20 to 25. And stolen. Wow. Daily. Yeah. Daily. Yeah. And this is police stats. And I'm sure you've seen, you know, the, the parliament can play an important role in asking the Minister of Police for this data. Um, we just saw, uh, I think, about two weeks ago, data coming through from a parliamentary question around the number of guns uh, being stolen from SAPS 13 stores, which is your evidence stores, not just. So that means guns that have been recovered from a crime scene and they go into the evidence store and they, they're there because they're going to be used, you know, as evidence in a, in, in a, in a court proceeding. Um, and these guns aren't properly secured. You don't have uh, the right kind of people who have oversight or ensuring that those guns remain secure. These are two basic principles uh, that you have to get right when you, uh, as the state, are um, looking after recovered guns because that's the most uh, vulnerable point for guns to move back into the illicit market. So that's just your SAPS 13 stores. But of course we know that guns are being uh, taken off cops, cops are being killed for their guns. Um, so yeah, loss, loss and theft of guns uh, remain uh, a huge problem uh, in South Africa. Mm -hmm. And just importantly here and, 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 and lastly, um, you mentioned their private security and they too are perhaps, I guess, the sector of society and stakeholders that I had forgotten about here. Uh, they too, I guess, have an obligation for gun protection. What ramifications are they facing or consequences, if any at all, for, for lost and theft negligence? So, you know, Oliver, the, the, the private security industry is regulated to some extent by the Firearms Control Act um, and there are fairly clear guidelines around, um, you know, once you lose a weapon or have a weapon stolen 
off you. You need to report it. Um, and I think it's not always clear if, if people are negligent in, in the loss of their weapon, because that could put you at risk of not being able to renew your license. Um, the, the data seems to suggest that there's a very little sanction uh, against cops and private security if they are negligent in, in the loss or theft of their weapon. Uh, so I think, again, the, that could be a legislative intervention, uh, that the sanction needs to be much stronger um, uh, around ensuring, because, you know, you, you, you lose your weapon, you have it stolen, and you then apply for another weapon. So it's this kind of constant, you, you can see the, the picture, it's this constant moving of weapons into the legal market and then from the legal market into the illicit market. Uh, and, and, and those are areas of, they're they gray areas, they're areas where often it's dependent on internal policies uh, rather than the legislation uh, being clear enough about what's required. So, so again, a uh, big area for, um, for strengthening uh, yeah. and, and tightening up on the gun law. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. I really, really do appreciate it. Adele Kirsten, the director of Gun Free South Africa there. Taking your reactions to this, give us a call 086 0002032. 086